and welcome to Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey. So Kelsey, we have now been living in quarantine life for, what has it been, six weeks? Seven weeks? I have no idea. It's been a while, (laughs) that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think my work closed six to seven weeks ago. Time is just a construct, right? <laughs> I mean, what is time? Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. No, it's a. Uh, it's pretty wild because it's things where like I I get home and I'm because I still physically go to work, but and I get home and I'm really tired because I'm doing a lot at work and I'm being very mm-hmm. active and I get home and I'm very tired and then I go to go to bed and I can't sleep and I just sit mm-hmm. there in bed and I just don't sleep and then I wake up three times in the night and then it's just like. That's quarantine life. Like, I'm doing things, but there's so much going on in my mind, even when I'm being quiet and I'm tired and I'm like, why am I not sleeping? (laughs) I feel, yeah. You know, I am enjoying the fact that I can work at home. Like, I feel very lucky that that that's the case. And I know I've said that a few times. But yeah, I'm really starting to have just like a general sense of malaise. Mm -hmm. Like, I, you know, I I looked up the actual definition of malaise the other day because I felt like that (laughs) word was like so properly um defining how what I was feeling and just you know for everyone here we go what does malaise mean a general feeling of discomfort illness or uneasiness whose exact cause is difficult to identify oh man that's a new word for me too <laughs> yeah and maybe it's malaise I don't know but like anyhow sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong guys but like that's how I feel right now you know okay I I know that where the feeling comes from. It comes from being cooped up. But Mm -hmm. then at the same time, I have all those feelings like I can do embroidery. I can work on our podcast. Like I can read all these great books that I have. And yet the motivation just isn't quite there right now. (laughs) I was trying to explain to my husband my general apathy towards things at the moment because he's like, you need a hobby. And I'm like, honestly – I don't I care have to 10. have a hobby. Like, <laughs> you have so many hobbies. What's he talking well, about? Well, that's the thing is like, but it's it's like aside from like my job, which is like probably my biggest hobby is actually yeah. my job. And yes. since I can't do that as much as I normally do and a lot of more time at home, I just don't have anything else to sink myself in the same way aside from reading or something. But then also, too, I just don't want to read right now. I don't want to watch TV. My house is fairly organized, guys, though. Like, because I'm procrastinating things by like going through my closet and reorganizing the whole closet. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, so I guess we're just work fetching a little bit for you guys because we just wanted to say if you're feeling that way, it's okay. I think we all are right now. And all that you should expect of yourself is just to do whatever you need to do to get through it. Yeah. And just, Be good to yourself. Be kind to yourself. If you want to read, that's fabulous. Read Happily Ever Afters. If you want to listen to podcasts, I've been re-listening to some of my favorite podcasts right now, and that's just been giving me a sense of comfort. And so, yeah, just, just take care of yourselves. Be kind to yourselves. And, you know... This won't last forever. No. We'll get through it. And if you want to randomly buy scrunchies at CVS because that's the only retail therapy you can do at the moment, that's okay too. 
(laughs) Whatever you need to do to get through the day, just be safe, be healthy, and be kind to yourself. So with that, I think we should talk about our happily ever after today, which is in the book, Nine Rules to Break When Romancing a Rake by Sarah McLean. Yes. And so since this is a new author for us, which technically is not a new author for us, but like for the podcast it is. I know. And we keep having to say that. I mean, we're in episode, we're in the 30s now, but at the same time, there's so many fabulous authors. Like we're, it's going to be a while, especially because we're doing the Bridgertons and the Penny Royal series at the same time. Those are two very long series. Yeah. Once we get through those, we'll figure out what our next major series is. But For now. (laughs) For now, we're going to start with Sarah McLean, and we're going to start with her first book ever. So this is very exciting. So if you don't know Sarah McLean, you get to be introduced to her the same way I was introduced to her. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And so I'm just going to share a little about Sarah, and uh, I pulled this straight from her website. She's got a really fabulous website, though. There's like this beautiful step back on the front page of it right now in anticipation of her new book coming out in June, which I'm so excited about. So (laughs) it's like gorgeous. It's got a beautiful yellow dress, Zoe. You should check it out. I have seen that cover. (laughs) And she's got red hair. I mean, come on. Like, I love it all. Gorgeous. (laughs) Yes. So... Sarah is a leading advocate for the romance genre, speaking widely on its place at the nexus of gender and cultural studies. A romance columnist and co-host of the weekly romance novel podcast, Faded Mates, her work in support of romance and the women who read it earned her a place on Jezebel.com's Shiro's list and led Entertainment Weekly to call her the elegantly fuming fuming. The elegantly fuming, Mm -hmm. utterly intoxicating queen of historical romance. Sarah is a graduate of Smith College and Harvard University. She lives in New York City. All right. That's awesome. I love Sarah's books and her writing. And I'll be, I'll just admit right here that I have not ever listened to Faded Mates. So I feel kind of bad. I mean, I know it's such a fabulous podcast. I hear so many good things about it. But I I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, how neither of us have ever listened to romance novel podcasts before we started our own. No. (laughs) No. But yeah. I'm very, like, weird. Like, right now, I only want to listen to, like, podcasts that are, like, current events because that's just where my really? mind is. Yeah. Not only, but, like, long f- – I like to listen to long-form interviews and just, like, oh. really diving deep. And a lot of them are for more cultural issues. And that's just kind of where my mind is right now. So even some of the ones that I love to listen to, podcast-wise, mm-hmm. on just other topics, I'm just not listening to them because I just don't – Like, that's just not what my mind wants to hear right now. Like, I want my mind to be challenged and to look at a new perspective. And so, like, that's what I'm listening to right now. Okay, I'm so different. And (laughs) pardon the small divergent here or divergence here. But right now, all I listen to is Dungeons and Dragons podcasts. (laughs) So it's like fantasy. Like, get me out of current times. I just want to listen to like elves and wizards and shit. I mean, like, maybe that's what I should be listening to. It'd probably make me feel better. But no, I've been listening to like, just yeah, current event, just like, well, not even current event, just like, new perspective like I want to get somebody else's perspective and I want to listen to it and I want you to challenge my brain that's that's fabulous 
Well, let's get back to our book at hand. And in this book, our main tropes are a spinster and a rake. We've got a spinster looking for adventure, as they often do, Mm -hmm. Uh, a tragic hero past, and holding out for a love match. Yes. And I should also add to that that our hero doesn't believe in love. Oh, that's an important one. Yeah. yeah. He does not. No. <laughs> uh, and our main characters are Lady Calpurnia Hartwell and Gabriel St. John Marques Ralston. Alrighty, so shall we get into it? We shall. <clears throat> our prologue starts with Lady Capernia Hartwell in her first season. And it's going really shit guys oh gosh (laughs) it's only been a month and it's just been one embarrassment after another as she mutters to herself i cannot return i shall just have to live here forever in the garden of the ball she's currently attending she hears a chuckle from the shadows let the embarrassment continue the Marquess of Ralston, a notorious lord and rake, is also out in the dark of the garden, and he has overheard her talking to herself. He coaxes her into telling him why she is hiding in the garden and what her name is. Great. Even more mortification for her until he says the thing that will make her admire him from afar evermore. Quote, It's a horrible name, she says. Nonsense, he replies. Calpurnia was empress of Rome, strong and beautiful and smarter than the men who surrounded her. She saw the future, stood strong in the face of her husband's assassination. She is a marvelous namesake. He shook her chin firmly as he spoke. Remember, you are an empress. Behave as one, and they will have no choice but to see you as such. I already do. He paused, and she held her breath, waiting for his words. Your Highness. And then Lord Ralston bids Calpurnia adieu to meet up with his paramour for the evening. And we know that he met up with his paramour because Callie followed him deeper into the garden and saw them passionately kissing. And it was as if, like, ice water had just been thrown all over her. She would never be the one in the arms of the Marquess of Ralston. Quote, she was not an empress. She was just plain old Callie. And then we jump ahead. Ten years later. So Gabriel St. John is awoken by his twin brother, Nicholas, who has some shocking and important news, for it turns out that they have a half-sister, and she is apparently in London, ready to move in, albeit reluctantly. It turns out that after their mother left their father when the twins were very young, she ran off to Italy and married an Italian merchant, produced a daughter, And then proceeded to do the exact same thing to that family. Lovely woman. (laughs) Yes. So Giuliana Fiori has been sent by her father's lawyers, who were told in the event of her father's death, to send her to her brothers. She is not thrilled to be in England, residing with strangers, because after all, she had no idea that she even had brothers until recently. And she begs them to send her back to Italy. However, Gabriel denies that request because family is family, and they end up striking a bargain. If Juliana stays for eight weeks to be presented in society as their half-sister, if she still wishes to return to Italy after that time, then she may. Although, to be honest, Gabriel doesn't really have any intention to send her back after eight weeks. No. Which is why... 
the most important question to Gabriel at the moment is, who's going to help him prepare his sister to be presented to the Tun, the daughter of a marchioness who abandoned not one, but two families? He'll need to find someone who can guide her, someone from a good family with a respected name, and who's really willing to take on such a challenge. And over at the Earl of Allendale's house, there is much celebration. Mariana, Callie's younger sister, has just gotten engaged to the Duke of Rivington. Not only is this a stellar match socially, but it's obvious that the pair are smitten with each other. So the night of the betrothal, the night of the betrothal, Callie's family hosts a betrothal dinner for the happy couple, and it's wearing on Callie's nerves because After 10 years of being out, she is firmly considered a spinster, and every matron is reminding her of that fact. To get a break from this all, she enters her brother's study, which is currently occupied by her brother as well. Quote, I hope you have a good reason, or shall I send you back? Oh, I should be interested in seeing how you accomplish that, as you cannot reveal my escape without calling attention to your own, she teased. Too true. Benedict's white teeth flashed. Well, then, you can stay. Her brother, the Earl, is currently unmarried, and he's also not in a hurry to remedy that situation, which means he and she are in the same boat as far as being bugged by elderly women of the family. He tells her that she should really have told their Aunt Beatrice to buzz off, but Callie has always been a little too nice. In fact, she tells him how she is dreading the lead-up to Mari's wedding, because she will have to plan and attend all these events just to be reminded that she is a spinster. Benedict insists that if she doesn't want to do something, then she shouldn't have to. In fact, she's been so good, her reputation would probably not suffer if she were to push the boundaries just a little bit. Nothing too crazy like take a lover, but if she wants to drink scotch, why not? In fact, he even offers her some to replace the sherry she's currently drinking. Quote, She shook her head finally, and the moment passed. Benedict threw back the liquid and spoke again. I am sorry about all that, he said, rising from his chair. I should be happy to hear of you taking a risk or two, sister. However, this conversation sparks a light inside of Callie, because what if she could change? What if she did dare to take a risk or two? What would she even do? The answer comes almost immediately. Kiss someone. Callie decides in a burst of inspiration to write it down. However, seeing the words on paper, something's missing. So she adds one more word. Kiss someone. Passionately. And then she follows with more things she could do if she were a wild version of herself. They include smoke cheroot and drink scotch, ride astride, you go girl, (laughs) fence, attend a duel, fire a pistol, and gamble at a gentleman's club. She pauses there to look over her list, but if she's really thinking of what she wants to do, she should include some smaller ones that are things she just wants for her life. So she adds... Dance every dance at a ball. She's always loved dancing, but the partners dried up over the years as she became more firmly on the shelf. After all, she was plain looking and a little plump, not one to inspire on her own. Her final item causes her to blink tears from her eyes. Be considered beautiful. Just once. She had only felt something close to that once after meeting the Marquess of Ralston. However, he probably did not perceive her actually as such. Quote, 
No, he was just a man who did what he could to make a young girl feel better so that he could escape to a midnight tryst. But in that moment, he had made her feel beautiful. Like an empress. She closes off that memory with a sigh and folds up her list so she can head upstairs. As she's leaving the study, she hears her sister and a secret meetup with her fiancé. They really do like each other. <laughs> and Callie is shocked to hear her sister talk in such a suggestive manner. And also a bit jealous. Quote, It simply wasn't fair that her baby sister, who had looked up to her for so long, who for so many years had turned to her for advice and guidance and friendship, was now experiencing this remarkable new world of love. And then suddenly her sister's conversation turns to Callie. Rivington kindly tells Mariana that Callie will always be welcome at their country home. In fact, he knows she'll make a lovely aunt for their children. And ooh, how that burns. Because Callie wonders, do they really not see a possible scenario that does not involve her being a poor spinster aunt? Quote, Mari added, I only wish she could have what we have. She so deserves it. Rivington sighed. She does, but I am afraid that only Callie can seize such a life for herself. If she remains so... He paused, searching for the word, and Callie strained to hear, the angle of her body so unnatural that she risked toppling over entirely. Passive. She shall never have those things. Quietly, Callie retreats back to Benedict's study to absorb this blow. Passive? They thought her passive? As her mind is coming to terms with this perception of herself, Callie pulls the list from her bodice. Maybe she should take some action. She has a whole list after all. And action is what we get. Lady Calpurnia heads out into the night. And immediately regrets her decision when she is deposited from her hack outside of the Marquess of Ralston's door. But she does knock and is quickly escorted in and directed as to where to find his lordship. I mean, wait, what? She hasn't even said two words or taken off the hood of her cloak. Quote, Callie watched the servant mount the stairs as understanding dawned and her eyes went wide as saucers. Good lord, he thought her a light skirt. The shocking realization was quickly followed by another. The butler thought her Ralston's light skirt, which meant that Ralston was here, in the house. As Kelly is lit upstairs, she hears music getting louder, and she is ushered into Ralston's bedchamber where he's currently playing the piano, and playing it very well and very passionately. Ralston doesn't even turn around, instead addressing her as if she is his mistress, one he apparently dismissed and thinks is here to beg for either the position back or for more money. Quote, Callie had never thought she would feel for one of the courtesans who lurked on the edges of the ton as mistresses of the aristocracy, but she couldn't help but take offense on this particular woman's behalf. And to think, she had thought Ralston a pillar among men. Now she's angry on this woman's behalf and luckily gets the perfect opening. Quote, He did not look back as he said, I beg you not to make this situation any more awkward than you have, Natasia. I'm afraid this situation can only become more awkward, my lord. Woof. Ralston whips around, because he's clearly in shock. He does recover quickly and asks who she is and how he can be of assistance. Callie instead opts for a snappy retort and an exit, because she's over this. But alas, this would be a boring book if he allowed her to leave. So Ralston quickly blocks her exit by pushing his hand against the door and closing it. Man, he covers a room quickly. 
Giving up the facade of offended lady, Callie reveals her identity to Ralston. He is very curious as to why she came to his house in the dead of night. Not a normal location for an upstanding lady. She tries to dance around the topic and claim it's of non-importance. It was a mistake. She'll just leave. Ralston, however, is not going to let her go without the truth. Quote, and then, whether from courage or cowardice or too much sherry, she would never know. She decided to answer him. After all, the evening couldn't possibly become any worse. In a whisper, she announced, I came to ask you to kiss me. Now, Ralston is perplexed. He only knows her by reputation, which is as a lady of the ton who attends many of the bulls he infrequently attends. That's pretty much the extent of her reputation. Yep. It's pretty boring. Yeah. <laughs> so he asks, why? Again, there is some hemming and hawing, but Callie admits the truth. Quote, I've never been kissed. I thought it was time. The words shocked him. They were not filled with self-pity, nor did they plead. Instead, they were so honest, so matter-of-fact, that he couldn't help but admire her courage. Such a statement could not be an easy one to make. Ralston agrees to kiss her, but for a price. Callie must agree to help launch his sister to the ton. In fact, Callie is the solution to the problem he had been faced with earlier in the day. She has the reputation and the connections that will help make his sister a success. He tells her this, and she agrees, but also with the addition of the right to ask for a favor from him at the time of her choosing. And so the bargain is sealed with a kiss. Well, two kisses. The first kiss shocks Callie into saying, that was satisfactory, thank you. But Ralston, ever the rake, tells her that it needs to be a real kiss. So she gets one that she feels throughout her whole body. And on a whisper, Ralston tells her, kisses should not leave you satisfied. They should leave you wanting. The next morning, Callie, safe back in her room, is mulling over what she did the night before. No one can call her passive ever again. Well, at least if they knew, but not that she's going to tell anyone. But maybe, she thinks, pulling out her list, she could be the person that she was last night. Her maid Anne arrives with a missive from the Marquess of Ralston. What had Callie gotten herself into? While Callie is distracted, Anne finds the list and learns that Callie went to Ralston's house last night. Ooh la la. And she warns Callie away from the list and Ralston, but Callie made a promise and keep it she shall. She arrives at Ralston's home to meet Juliana later that day. Ralston does meet her first in a very businesslike fashion and lays down some rules for Callie's lessons with Juliana, which will involve Callie being at his house a lot. But meeting Giuliana Fiore is a delight, and they quickly become friends in truth. Callie immediately notices how frank the girl is about everything, and Giuliana quickly sees that Callie and her brother Ralston kind of have something going on. But no worries, for that secret will be safe with her. <laughs> At his club, Ralston is talking with his brother Nick about what will be required of them to bring Julia Juliana out successfully when he is distracted by some antics over at the betting book. Baron Oxford, a drunk and not very wealthy bachelor, has declared he will marry this season. All the men are betting on who the unfortunate woman will be, and Lady Calpurnia's name comes up. She's been on the shelf forever. She'll fall over in gratitude at that proposal, and her dowry will be just the trick for the Baron's pockets. Ralston, having recently learned a bit more about Callie, is offended on her behalf and tells the man there is no way in hell she'll marry him. In fact, he bets a thousand pounds she'll turn him down. Challenge accepted. 
At the engagement ball for Mariana and Rivington, the ton is surprised to see Ralston make an appearance, because he rarely attends such banal events. He, however, makes short work of asking Callie to dance and securing an invitation for Juliana to have tea with Callie's mother. The Countess is very well respected in the ton. Her approval will go a long way for Juliana, and so overall the evening was well spent. However, Callie asks a curious question. Could Ralston recommend the name of a tavern? And he does finally provide her with one. And when he takes his leave, Callie heads upstairs to seek Anne's help. Quote, How could she discuss the season when there was scotch to be tried? A tavern to visit? A new Callie to encourage? Ralston watches Callie enter the tavern. What could she be doing? Is she meeting a man? He continues to keep an eye on her while she takes a seat in the far corner and orders a scotch. Quickly, though, I love how his first thought is that she's here to meet a man at the tavern when she just admit, <laughs> admit, when she just admitted, like, recently to him how she'd never been kissed. I love how that's where yeah. his mind goes. And I know. <laughs> his thoughts to himself were, quote, one thing was certain. He had entirely misjudged little Callie Hartwell. She was most definitely not the appropriate sponsor for Juliana. He had been looking for a woman of impeccable character, and instead he had found Callie, who calmly ordered whiskey in London taverns. He approaches her and is immediately like, WTF, what are you doing? And Callie is like, I'm drinking scotch, duh. And then she actually drinks the scotch and chokes on it, realizing it's not very good. And so Ralston does get a bit of a chuckle from that, but he really just wants to get her out of the tavern before anyone notices her. Although they do have a few more sips before they do leave. Eventually, he gets her out and into his carriage, where he tells her she's risking his sister's coming out. Callie says that Juliana will be a success and hopes she'll find a love match. Ralston has a differing opinion. Quote, My lord, are you saying that you do not believe in love? Love is merely an excuse to act without considering the consequences, he said with disinterest. I've never seen evidence of its being anything more than a precursor to pain and anguish, and as a concept, it does much more harm than good. Then Ralston demonstrates how attraction is way more potent than love, because they have a hot and heavy makeout in the carriage. And sadly, they end up back at Allendale's house and must part ways. Callie is super stoked about her little adventure to a tavern and her makeout sesh in the carriage, but as she's sneaking back in, uh-oh, her brother has found out. Quote, I would not test me, Calpurnia. Now, answers. Where did you go? Out. Benedict blinked. Out. Indeed, Callie said with a firm nod. Out. Out where, Calpurnia? Really, Benedict, she said in the haughtiest of tones. I don't harangue you about your comings and goings. Callie, the word was laced with warning. So she tells her brother that she went to a public house. Don't worry, only Ralston saw her. He recommended the place after all. And wasn't this your idea anyway? Weren't you encouraging me to take an adventure or two? As you can imagine, Benedict is not pleased. And tells her she better knock her shit off, at least outside the house. She is welcome to all the adventure she wishes in the house, with the family. 
So Callie uses that opportunity to cross another thing off her list, which is to smoke a cheroot because she's in the house and he just said... Oh, the logic of siblings. <laughs> yes. And he does give in, and so she gets to check that one off. Uh, it was terrible, but it was worth it to have the adventure. A few days later, Callie is back at Ralston House to pick up Juliana for shopping. Callie personally hates shopping, so she's brought Cheers. Mar- <laughs> <laughs> so she's brought Mariana along. And Juliana and Mariana hit it off immediately. While they're at Madame Hilbert's, the most exclusive dressmaker in London. Callie sees the most beautiful fabric and is encouraged to get it by her sister and Juliana. Even Madame Hebert tells her the fabric is made for her and she will personally make the dress and then removes the fabrics from circulation. So that's exciting. Yes. Little bespoke dress. There is also a weird interaction with Baron Oxford outside the shop. He's the one that made the bet about Callie. Callie's just not quite sure what's going on there because he's like trying to flirt, but isn't very good at it. <laughs> nope. And Juliana has been invited to her first outing in the ton. She will join the Allendale family in the Rivington Opera Box, escorted by her brothers, of course. The opera is about to start, and Ralston accompanies Callie to her seat, thanking her for her help with his sister. Now, as Callie is rambling about the show, it comes to her attention that the lead soprano for the night is none other than Ralston's former mistress, Natasia Kritikos, the woman Callie was mistaken for the night at Ralston's house. At intermission, Ralston receives a note from Nastasia asking him to come to her. Callie is able to see it before he shoves it in his pocket. Then, as the curtain goes up for the second act, Ralston leaves the box. Callie makes excuses and follows him. For how dare that man risk being seen going to his former mistresses on the night of Juliana's first ton event after all Callie's hard work? Oh, she does catch him before he heads down the stairs and proceeds to give him a piece of her mind. And they argue about her involvement in what he is doing. And then she dares to tell him a rake and libertine cannot tell her what to do. His response is that if he's a rake, then he can stop resisting the part and seizes her in a kiss. Oof. She breaks out and they exchange more heated words and part both furious with each other. Ralston did go to his mistress that night after that, but only to tell her that they are really done and she's not to try any more tricks like she pulled that night. For Callie, this was a really tough night, and she spends her evening crying to Anne for all the lost years. However, the new adventurous Callie cannot be stopped for long. She has a list to complete. Next up, fencing! Not even nosy little sisters can stop this train. So, with some borrowed equipment from her brother, she heads off to the fencing club. Using her brother's notoriety and a fake name of her own, she gains entry to, quote, look the place over. She asks where one can practice with a sandbag and is given a room number, but after entering the room, it turns out there is someone already there, and that person is awaiting a partner. And what a coincidence. It's Ralston, because... 
after all, this is a romance novel. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And Ralston is fooled at first due to Callie's fencing mask and her being completely outfitted as a boy and actually begins teaching the young man the basics of sparring with a partner. However, Callie was unable to tie on an essential part of practice equipment, which results in her receiving a cut to her sword arm and with a cry of pain, Ralston realizes the deception. Wah, wah. He is furious and expresses it, not just about her being here, but also for not having the proper protective equipment. What the hell was she thinking? Quote, it's really quite fine, you know, Callie said, her tone belittling the importance of her words. It's just that even in this moment, when I'm faced with certain ruin and your anger and my own fear and not a small amount of pain from my wound, not not that you didn't do a lovely job of binding it, my lord, he nodded his acknowledgement of her praise. Even with all that, she plunged on, I am having one of the best days of my life. And she spills the whole thing about the list and trying to find herself again. And Ralston is sympathetic and he begins using his empress endearment, which makes her feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Because even though he doesn't remember the long garden moment where he mentioned her being an empress, she does. And so it's like, oh, it's a cute nickname. I mean, it's way better than a lot of the like sweetheart darling. Oh, yeah. I'll take I mean, empress over anything. That's fantastic. <laughs> Heck yes. So this moment leads to our first encounter, which is a marvelous orgasm for Callie from the nimble fingers of our Marquess. And then he helps her to escape from the fencing gym unnoticed, but not before extracting a promise from her that she will not complete any more items on the list without him. At Juliana's next dancing lesson, there is a bit of drama. First, Ralston is miffed to find Callie having a grand giggling time waltzing with his twin brother. And then Juliana calls her dancing master un idiota, and Ralston tells her to stop being such a child, causing the girl to run from the room and saying she's going back to Italy. Screw this guy. Callie goes to comfort Juliana and realizes that only Ralston has the power to fix this. So she goes in search for him and overhears him vehemently telling his brother there is nothing between him and Callie. Quote, what on earth would I want with such a plain, missish creature? It is not my fault if the girl finds me attractive. Nick nodded once at the words before pulling open the door, which had been ajar, to reveal Callie, wide-eyed and pale-faced. If Ralston were less in control of his emotions, he would have cursed violently. It was obvious she had overheard. Despite this blow, Callie persists in demanding that Ralston apologize to his sister for the earlier incident. Ralston tries to apologize to Callie, but Callie does not want to hear it. So he gets all defensive and starts attacking her, asking, was landing his brother St. John on the list? She replies, quote, I assure you, if there were a conquest on my list, it would not be your brother. Ralston asks, well, then who would it be? Callie thinks to herself, Against my better judgment, it would be you, you cabbage head. But she actually replies, I am through with this conversation. However, Ralston is not through with the conversation or with Callie. I've tried to forget that kiss and the carriage ride and the fencing club, but you seem to have taken up residence in my memory. Anger turns to kisses, which turns to Callie getting an orgasm from Ralston's mouth. But when he asks her to tell him that she wants him, she remembers his words from a short time before. 
plain and missish. So she pushes him away. Quote, I don't deny it. It's always been you. She watched him react to the words, watched him register the truth in them, and then she said, I just wish it were anyone else. And with that, she turned, and, pride be damned, she fled. He watched her go, unmoving. Gabriel St. John is now in a fury and taking it out on his piano. He is so absorbed with his thoughts of Callie and replaying their last interaction in his mind. He regrets his words, but he cannot regret the actions of that afternoon. Juliana slips in and they have a great brother-sister moment because they both take Callie's advice. The next time that our main characters meet, it is at the Royal Art Exhibition. Callie is being escorted by Baron Oxford because he kind of cornered her into it. However, Ralston takes the time to steal Callie away so he can have a private word. Callie personally just wants to go home and is not interested. Ralston is also jealous of seeing her with Oxford and determines the man cannot have her. He sets about apologizing for his hurtful words and asks if he can take her somewhere. After all, she went out with Oxford. Instead, Callie asks him to help her with another item on the list. He needs to take her gambling at his club. He is convinced she will be caught. He should not do it. Quote, Well, it seems you are my partner in crime. She smiled then, a beaming grin not unlike the one he'd seen her give Oxford earlier. He lost his bluster at the words, feeling the full force of her pleasure like a blow, and a nonsensical wave of pride coursed through him. Pride at being the one she would turn to with such excitement. Pride at being the one she would ask to escort her on such an adventure. And, in that sun-filled moment, with all of London mere inches away from their hiding place, he was struck by her beauty. Her bright brown eyes and her hair gleaming auburn in the light, and her mouth wide and welcoming, and enough to bring a man to his knees. So that evening, they are off to Brooks. Callie is once again in her man costume, and it's driving Ralston crazy. So they do go to Brooks, as requested, but they go to gamble in a private back room. And on the way in, Callie sees a courtesan entertaining multiple men. She had no idea that that was even possible. So now she has a lot of questions. <laughs> and to make their night interesting, they begin to gamble for favors. Quote, he meant for her to sit on his lap? She shook her head. I couldn't. You wanted to try the roll on for size, lovely, he said, the words warm and coaxing. Come, sit with me. She knew without him having to say any more that this was her chance to experience it all with Ralston. So they have glorious sex here in our third encounter. Callie orgasms before and after, while Ralston has an epiphany. Quote, he'd never experienced anything like this, anything like her. He'd never been with a woman so open and free, never known someone so willing to give and receive and embrace passion with such a powerful will. He'd never known anyone like her. Then Gabriel, we can call him that after such intimacy, thinks about the virginity he's just taken and ruins everything by apologizing for everything and saying, of course, they will marry. Uh, Callie says no, and then they part ways. He goes to her at Allendale House the following day and finds her reorganizing the library, which she does when she's frustrated. 
And he's there to repeat his offer of marriage. And Callie simply won't accept it. So he leaves with a very haunty, this isn't over. Then Ralston goes back to Brooks, where Oxford is boasting about the money he's about to win from Ralston because he is going to marry Lady Calpurnia Hartwell. Ralston tells him that he's not good enough to lick Callie's boots and doubles the wager. And when we all next find Callie, it's at a ball, the very ball where Juliana is having her debut. Callie is also wearing the ball gown from Madame Hubert, and it is fire! Ralston tries to catch her eye so that he can find a way to speak with her. Quote, He met her gaze and was shaken by the sadness in her eyes. There was something about her tonight that was different, more tragic from the other nights. He knew instinctively he was the reason for her sadness, that he had made a thorough mess of everything, mucking up his marriage proposal, somehow leading her to believe that he didn't really want to marry her. Before they can speak, Callie is whisked onto the terrace by Baron Oxford, who tries to force himself on her after announcing he has decided to marry her. Isn't she so grateful? She thoroughly rejects him, and then he says some really nasty things. Feeling low, she is made to feel lower when Ralston appears to repeat his offer. Quote, You know I shall give you everything. She closed her eyes against the words and their dark promise. Not everything, she said, sadness in her tone. They argue about this fact, and Callie admits that she loves Ralston, and then uses her favor from the beginning of the book to ask him to please leave her alone. And devastated by the thought of living without Callie, Ralston goes to Allendale House and admits to Benedict that he compromised Callie and just wishes to convince her to marry him. He gets punched in the eye, and then Benedict tells him that she's in the library. And the two of them talk, and he tells her of his horrid mother, who left not one, but two families. She feels empathy for him and has a deeper understanding of his hesitation with love and decides to agree to marry him. They confirm this by having encounter number four in her bedroom and then encounter number five in the morning when Callie gets to learn to ride astride. That's another thing off the list. <laughs> so they are officially engaged, and Callie is feeling like the belle of the ball that she is attending that night. In fact, did Ralston have a hand in all of her dance partners? Because, after all, she had wanted to dance every dance. But it turns out that, no, she's just glowing, and everyone is attracted to her new personality. <laughs> But the ball is very quickly ruined because Baron Oxford is telling everyone who will listen that Ralston is only marrying Callie to get out of paying him 2,000 pounds. Why else would he marry Callie? Obviously, Callie is crushed and tells Ralston they will no longer marry. And he turns his anger onto Oxford and demands satisfaction. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have a duel. I was wondering how we were going to get a duel for <laughs> Callie. <laughs> but... Callie doesn't know that there is a duel at that time. In fact, she has told Ralston that their engagement is over and left the ball. However, though Benedict is furious with the whole situation, he does learn about the duel and eventually does tell Callie about it. And when she learns about it, she immediately decides she needs to rush to the field because she has to save the man that she loves from his own stupidity. The duel is literally happening when Callie comes rushing in. Ralston sees her and runs towards her, getting shot in the process because Oxford had planned to shoot wide, and sadly, that meant 
Ralston actually got shot trying to save Callie. And so Callie and Ralston reunite on the ground of the the what do you call it? the duel the, the dueling ground the dueling yeah. field. Um, it's yes. fine though, guys. He just he just has got shot in the arm. It's fine. Yes, he's he's gonna live. <laughs> yes, but we get an "I love you" from both ends. Ralston says, "Quote." I love you. I love your extravagant name and your beautiful face and your brilliant mind and your ridiculous list and your taste for adventure, which I imagine is very likely going to be the actual cause of my death. And I very much wanted to be able to tell you all that before you were shot in a field. And then, begrudgingly, Ralston hands Callie his unspent pistol because it was on her list to fire one. And so this will finish up her list. (laughs) So he gives it to her to fire. And she's like, really? Cool. Let's do it. (laughs) Callie's game. And then we have our epilogue, which is that the new Marquess and Marchioness of Ralston are in the garden where they first met, even though Ralston does not remember it. He wishes, however, that he did and that he hadn't wasted all this time. But Callie is happy that they had to wait. After all, her list brought them together in the end. And now they are going to start checking off her new list, which includes a tryst in a garden. Ta-da! Aw, so they are living happily ever after, and I want to get into our discussion. So shall we adjourn to the parlor? We shall. So today we would like to remind you all to sign up for our email list. Our email subscribers get to know all of our episodes ahead of time. They get some cool extra goodies. And also all of our interview guests are going to be providing some special uh, exclusive content just for our email subscribers. And we're actually going to be running a contest. And if you subscribe to our email list, you'll be Entered. We're going to have more details about that next week. One of our interview authors that we are going to be announcing in our next episode, uh, she has provided us with a signed copy of her upcoming book and some other goodies. So you guys are going to really want that. Plus her answers to our uh Our special questions for our subscribers are so great, so you're going to want to see those. So to sign up for our email list, you can head on over to our website, which is romancepod.com, or you can go straight there through the bit.ly link, which will be in our show notes, and that's bit.ly slash strumpet sign up. So you should all hop on our email list, and we promise we don't bug you very often. No, we do not bug you very often. And we also want to let you know that if you are listening to the podcast and you haven't read the book already and you are now deeply intrigued as to what actually happened every sentence of the book, you can actually buy the books through our show notes. We have links to all the books we read in the show notes of the episode. And if you click on that link, it'll take you directly to Amazon. Yes, we're going to work on getting some of the indie bookstore links as well in the future, but these are affiliate links. So if you're looking to buy the book on your Kindle, uh, buying it supports the author there and it also supports us just a little bit. So if that's a way that you'd like to support the podcast, we would love your support. 
Yes. And as always, you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter at T and Strumpets. T is in Tom and is in Nancy Strumpets. And we are on Facebook and Pinterest slash T and Strumpets. And we're on YouTube if you search the name of our show. Yes. And I'd also like to announce that this week, this Saturday, is going to be the first Saturday that I'm going to be doing this. But I am partnering with one of my local librarians here to do some Facebook Live events. And we are going to be talking with six different pairs of romance authors over the next six Saturdays. What fun! I know. So that's going to be so, so, so much fun. And Kelsey may be joining us for some of them. She doesn't know about this yet. Cool. <laughs> but we'll I'm see. Down. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to be figuring more out about that as it comes. But this is in partnership with the Escondido Library. That is a library in my area. So if you would like to join us, this first event is going to be featuring Kristen Rockaway and Alyssa K. Adams, and that is this Saturday, April 25th, 2020, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, and that's on Facebook at Escondido Library. So you should definitely check that out. We'll have a link to that. Uh, maybe not in this episode, because I don't know if I'll have a, a link necessarily, but I'll try to add a link in the show notes. And also, we will probably be putting the recordings up on our YouTube channel as well. So when Kelsey said YouTube, that made me think of all this. So, <laughs> and there's going to be all sorts of romance authors from different genres. We have a historical one. We've got an erotica one. We've got all sorts of cool ones. So you guys should definitely check it out. Yes, do that. And finally, if you enjoy what you hear here and are interested and supporting us, you can always just tell a friend. It's one of the <laughs> best ways for podcasts to grow. And one of the best ways I hear about podcasts is from all my friends. <laughs> So we have arrived. We get to talk about the book now. Yay. Talk about the book. So Kelsey, what did you think? I thought overall it was quite fun. Yes. It was a fun one because I liked Callie's kind of ballsy attitude. And there was a lot of little moments between her and her siblings, as well as like her and Ralston's siblings that were just fun and you know, delightful. Mm -hmm. And then even though, you know, there was drama between the two of them, it was never like, oh, God, get on with it, you know? Yeah, for sure. They're like, all of their interactions did not drag. Mm -hmm. I, I, I agree. I think that the book was really fun. I did think the book itself dragged a little bit towards the end. And again, let's remember that this is her first published romance novel. I believe she published a young adult novel before this one, but this is her first romance novel. And to me, this is a fabulous book. I just, like, if I have any criticism, it felt kind of like a first book just because I've read so many of her other books that feel a little mm -hmm. bit more sophisticated. But that's not to say this book is like bad in any way. It's just like now knowing her, who the writer she is 10 years later, it's like, okay, I can see how I bet she would have edited the story down a little differently. Like there was just yes. like one too many, like they were going forward and then they went back again. And I was like, eh, you know, but um, 
but I just loved the the premise of it, her list. And I also mm-hmm. like I felt so compassionate towards her when oh when the Duke called her passive. I was just more I was in oh, the moment. God. I was mortified for her. Oh, I know. And just just you could just picture yourself being in there and hearing that about yourself and being like, What? I uh, yeah. Like <gasps> that's seriously? Yeah. And I mean, like, in a way, it was good for her. She needed to hear that. That was like part of part of the, you know, domino effect that set her on this course of like, mm-hmm. no, I'm going to take my life into my hands and stop trying to be what I think other people want me to be. So like great messages in the book. Like yes. I loved the themes and and she said, I'm going to take my life into my own hands and I'm going to do things that uh, challenge me and ter- and make me different. And I loved that. Um, it's funny because – when I announced this book on Instagram, I can't tell you how many messages we got and uh, how many like comments that we got too that were just like, this was one of my first romance books. I love this book so much. Mm-hmm. I'm so fond of this book. I have such fun memories of this book. And I totally get that because this book is fun. Like this it book really is so is. fun. And the characters are really great. And even though you said it did feel kind of long, you're right. When they finally were like, she agreed to marry him. I'm like, oh, yeah. And then we're going to have an epilogue, right? And it's like, oh, no, but we still haven't had a duel. We need to figure out how to get that in there. And However, I, like, I wouldn't have taken that part out. I think no. just something in the middle, like maybe like, you know what I mean? Like edited. Yeah. But again. And, <laughs> and that's what the, the thing is. Like she just did such good there was she laid the groundwork and it was very much she laid the groundwork and so you knew that like this was going to come up again and you knew this was going to be an important thing and like everything had a necessary reason for being in there so mm-hmm. you know it all it was all really well thought out and i thoroughly enjoyed it well and there's so many so many fun things about it like the dressing up as a woman and then getting sliced mm-hmm. um that's so one of my very favorite scenes in a book i'm going to spoil okay guys if you haven't read the alana series i hi by tamara pierce oh, it's one of my oh, favorite great. favorite favorite oh, series so good and i'm going to spoil like one of the best reveals ever so like skip ahead 30 seconds if you haven't read it and you don't want it but alana is a lady knight but most people don't know that she's a woman cuz she's masquerading as her brother Mm-hmm. And she binds her breasts and she, you know, she finally becomes a knight and has to like challenge the villain and they have a duel and he slices her down the front and like opens her bindings, you know, and like the yes. curves of her breasts <laughs> like start to show. And oh my God, like that scene is so ingrained in my memory. So like when we had that fencing scene and we got the little slice, even though like that wasn't how he realized she was a woman, it was like the slice caused a ripple effect of him like pulling off her mask and yada yada but it just like it was so iconic where I was like yes I I love this (laughs) and the riding a stride thing like (laughs) I loved how they fit that one in there too because I didn't remember that one and I was like okay that'll be fun he'll probably do that in the epilogue whatever and then it was like oh no he's like I'm gonna teach you how to ride a stride and I'm like oh okay sir (laughs) yes and I I it was funny because when we when I started reading it and he like calls her empress the first time you're like Oh, that's that's nice, I guess. And then, like, I wasn't sure how I felt about it because nicknames in general can always be like, you know, yeah. hit or miss. Mm-hmm. For just I think person to person, right? And yes. also like character to character. And but 
I loved it. Like, I like he already oh, said. No. And like, then when he calls her it again, because it's like <laughs> such a pet name and he always is just like, yes, Empress, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's not in a, te- it's never in a teasing way. It's in a general, no, like, it's a reverent, I see you it's as a an reverent Empress. way. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. I will oh. say my probably my biggest problem with this book was actually the cover, um, mm. which depicts a very slim woman. And I'm not saying that the character kind of talks about herself, I think, as a curvy woman. Um, obviously, she has big they breasts. Always, she always refers to herself as slightly plump. Yes. And she she has big breasts and a, like a curvy figure. And like mm-hmm. the, the, the cover is not that. But like, let's talk for two seconds about Brazen and the Beast, you know, which is another Sarah McLean, which has this incredibly gorgeous, full-figured woman on the cover. And Mm -hmm. so I think, you know, for your first novel, my guess is you don't get everything you want. And I've heard I've heard other people talking about how a lot of of romance novels that have full-figured women don't feature full-figured women on the cover. And so yes. th- I this is not to I don't want this at all to seem like Sarah McLean, how did you not that's not it at all. I know how you didn't. Like it's, you know, yeah. it, and that was 10 years ago. Today, luckily we are seeing more and more and more. Um but I think because she has this now iconic, beautiful, wonderful cover for Brazen and the Beast. When I saw the cover of this one, I was like, wait a minute, that's not our character at all. (laughs) No. But as you said, I think it's just like the evolution of time. And you're right. There's like so many books I read because I I I heard someone say it's like I don't see curvy women in hair like as in romance novels. Mm -hmm. Like I've heard that comment a lot, but in my head I'm like, I always picture some of the characters as more curvy because they always refer to themselves I'm a little this you know like I've got big breasts like they're yeah. like unless they refer to the heroine as willowy I assume they have like the body of a woman <laughs> yeah like a woman <laughs> yeah yeah exactly for sure um yeah and and so uh I I like that I like that Sarah wrote yeah, I really liked Calpurnia as a heroine. And in fact, maybe that is a good segue to get to talking about our ratings. Yes. Zoe, how would you rate our heroine? We're going to start with Calpurnia. So I think she is great. She's, you know, she's feisty and she says what she wants and she starts really coming out of her shell. It's funny because her shell was like a facade. You know, it really wasn't who she was to -hmm. her family and to her friends, but to society she was. So Ralston starts getting who she actually is. It's not like she's changing. She's just being Mm -hmm. who she is with him uh, from the beginning. And it's shocking to him because it's not what he expects. But I love that we're not really getting anything out of the character that isn't the character. You know what I mean? It's not Mm -hmm. like she's changing before our eyes. Instead, she is evolving, right? Like she's just, she's shedding. Like she's, she's getting rid of the weight Mm -hmm. of society's oppression and she's doing what she wants to do and being who she actually is. Yes. I think that you get that a lot with her and you'll get more of that in the book where there's a scene where she talks about how like she finds she's like I found myself in the tavern and I found myself you know at fencing and I found myself drinking scotch Mm -hmm. like even like 
Even the things she doesn't like. Like, even the things that she's like, I found myself again. I lost her somewhere. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't know when I lost or I didn't realize I had lost her, but I lost myself somewhere. And then even she has a different interaction with her brother and he's, and she's just like, I'm not going to be like, I'm no longer meek and biddable. And he's like, you seem to think that you were ever meek and biddable, you know? (laughs) But it's just because she fell into this trap of trying to be nice and good and like, fell into the spinster trap and then realized when she heard her future brother-in-law call her passive, she's like, oh my God, that's, but I'm not that. Mm-hmm. Is that what people actually think of me? Yeah. So uh, on the, the negative side for her, sometimes I found her a little bit immature. Um, You know, mm-hmm. like she kind of like overreacted earlier in their you know, courtship, shall we say. But I, I mean, all of it was understandable. Like she was immature in a way, in a sense, like she Mm -hmm. didn't have experience. And here's this very experienced man kind of like toying with her basically. So she's kind of like, how do I react to this? Like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to react? So I don't know. I think like to me, I I think she's a 7.5. I think she's a great heroine and has some really great lines. I think I'm going to give her the same on that rating because I I agree. Like, there were parts of her where I was like, come on, girl, like, you got to buck up a bit. But you're right. I think that you saw – you really saw her evolution through the book, though, because I think a lot of those moments where I was frustrated – like, not really frustrated with her, but was kind of like, come on, seriously. Mm -hmm. Like, in those immature moments, I felt like a lot of those were at the beginning. And by the end of it, she kind of found herself and found her maturity. And so, like – and then was really just like sticking to her guns and was just like, eh, no, well, this is what I will say, yeah, though, but you, like when she's like our engagement is over and like doesn't have a conversation. I I mean, I understand emotions and stuff, but I was a little bit like, Ugh. you're right. I thought I did think that was a little. I think I by that, that was time a little I was rash. tired. Yeah, yeah I, was, I said that was a little rash because he's just like he bet me like two thousand pounds. Like I wouldn't marry him. Like he's only marrying you to get back at me. And like if she thought about it for more than two seconds, she would have been like, "That doesn't sound right." Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, again, this is a romance novel. We have to have the drama. So like, it all made sense, and we had to get to the we had to get to the duel. And so like maybe that next morning she would have thought about it and realized, Mm -hmm. you know, but we got to get to the duel. So, I mean, I get it. So then, Kelsey, what about our hero? How did you feel about him? I thought our hero, he wasn't super broody, which was nice. Mm -hmm. I don't always like them super broody. I like that he had a secret passion for the piano that, Mm -hmm. like, no one knew about because he kept his piano in his bedroom. Yeah. Um. But I also really liked his interactions with something. I thought that he was a little bit, like... Like I said, not brooding, but it's just a little too dark. Like, even at the beginning with his brother, like, it's his twin brother. They're supposed to be the, he's like, they even say he's like, Nick was like the only really person I had, you know, in my life Mm -hmm. who I could like really keep like trust upon. And you'll notice that he doesn't really talk about like other friends he goes out with. Mm He kind of has mistresses and then he has his brother. And that's about it. Yeah. And so that I kind of was just. I didn't always like that, but I thought that his, as far as him being with Callie, I thought I approved of, like, most of his actions. Yeah, I to me, I felt like he doth protest too much, you know? Like, mm-hmm. he was like, 
I want to, like, screw this girl. I want to kiss her. But, like, why? Why Why this girl? What's so special about this girl? Like, he, mm-hmm. he kind of was like, she's plain and whatever. And then I know that's, like, kind of the romance trope where it's, like, they all of a sudden – like, you read the quote, right? Where it's, like, yeah. all of a sudden his her beauty hit him. Yeah. And it was, like – Okay, but he still kept protesting. Like, after that mm-hmm. is when he, like, yells at – no, before that was when he yelled at his brother. But I was like, he just kept protesting. Like, why would this girl – and he never admitted to himself that, like, he was even attracted to her. Not that, like, he was in love with her. But he never said out loud, like, I'm attracted to you. He always would, like, protest and be like, oh, she's nothing. And I – No. I don't know. I, I do think there like was – I think there was – there wasn't any like full moments of clarity, but mm-hmm. I do think there were moments where Ralston was thinking to himself and and it was thinking about him he was kind of like piecing it together. I think we just never saw him really like get to that full moment of clarity. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't that he was protesting too much. It was like the scene where he's like frustrated because he knew he offend like he knew that he hurt Callie's feelings and he didn't even really mean what he said. He was just trying to get his brother off his back and he's sitting there on his piano thinking about her and he's just like, I just can't thinking about her and I just keep thinking <laughs> about her. And he's not like, why am I thinking about her? He's like, she's just kind of cool and I just kinda like her. And like I just but I can get other women out of my mind. Like for me it was more like he doesn't ever had trouble getting rid of other women out of his mind. And, like, she stuck there, and he was just trying to figure out why she was sticking there and no one else had. That was kind of the impression I had. I mean, fair. I I, I don't disagree. I thought, like, to his benefit, you know, he also took her to his gambling club and, like, you know, taught her to fence. And, like, you know, uh, he he really also had kind of this very sweet side, right, where obviously mm-hmm. he's very nurturing and he's calling her pet names. And so I there were there were lots of things I liked about him, but I just felt like he protested a little too much. Yeah. So I mean, the fencing scene after he they discover and, like, the thing is, like, yes, you know, they get busy. But at the same time, too, there's this beautiful moment even before and after mm-hmm. where, like, he's just talking to her and they're just kind of getting to know each other. He's like, why are you doing these things? Like, yeah, what's making you want to do these things? And she's having this vulnerable moment with him. And he's like, he doesn't throw it away. Yeah. Like, he appreciates it and, like, continues to let, like, that's where you get the empress name, you know, like, yeah. you get all these things. And then he finds out about the list and he is like, I need to protect you from yourself, mm-hmm. in a sense, because, like, this is a man's world and you are risking quite a lot to do these things. Yeah. But he's never, like, he really doesn't tell her, no, you can't do them. He's like, I'll just go with you. Because yeah. also, I'm just kind of having fun doing these things with you. So what would you rate him? I'll give him about the same as Callie. I'll give him a 7.5. Well, for me, I give him a 7. I feel like he's a good hero, but, like, I, just the protestations, like, knock him down a little for me. That's fair. These are still very good ratings. They really are. <laughs> I know. It sounds like we're like, I'm like grumpy about it. And I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not even at all. So quote time. Yes. Do you have a favorite quote, Zoe? I do. And we said it already. Oh, <laughs> But I'm going to say it again. Don't be sorry. <laughs> I think it's a good quote. Why not say it again? I really liked it when Ralston said, when, you know, when Callie and Ralston first kiss and then Ralston, you know, she says, oh, that was quite satisfactory or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And he says, kisses should not leave you satisfied. They should leave you wanting. 
kids. Like, mm. uh, yeah, they should. Yeah, they uh, should. Yeah, they, they really, really should. should. <gasps> um, that's excellent. I have another one, which was like a Ralston thought. And then I have one, which was just like I kind of mentioned it when I was talking about Callie's character. Mm-hmm. Um so the one that's cute is just like she's talking to her brother and this is when she's trying to get her brother to take her to the duel mm-hmm. and he's like you can't go to a duel she's like I got to be there buddy. Mm-hmm. And so he says no you need to stay here and wait and she's like I most certainly shall not. I am no longer meek and biddable. You labor under the misconception that you were ever meek and biddable. <laughs> yes. See, that's the thing. Callie was always a force to her family, but she just didn't mm. let everybody know it. Yes. And then this one is a Ralston thought, and it is, as he looked into her velvety brown eyes, he realized he'd never met a woman like her. She was a study in contradictions, all passionate innocence and adventurous primness and shy exploration. The heady combination was enough to fascinate even the most hardened of cynics. And he was indeed fascinated. Ooh, that's a good one. Well, now we're on to our steaminess rating and our encounter counter. Yes, so our encounter counter was quite high as a five encounters. Wow, that's that is yes. high. Yeah. And it's really funny because for this book I didn't think it was good. I didn't remember no. it getting that high. Yeah. And it like went high and it was like they were pretty damn steamy. Like I thought that we were pretty steamy. I mean, like they they often had an encounter where it was like risk of being found, you know, and yes. so that's like heightened it. Or they were arguing, so there was like always a lot of passion, and even, yes. you know, and their first kiss was like such a scene. So like I would uh-huh. say, yeah, this was pretty steamy. This was like a yeah. a hot cup of tea, got a blow on a few times yeah. to like really enjoy give it. it. A, <laughs> give it a few blows, and then you can take a sip. Yeah, yeah. for sure, it was quite it was quite good. Yes. And then Zoe. How would you say – how feminist would you say this book is? I say – I think this book is perfectly feminist. I think it's I think a supporter it because I, I kind of touched on it earlier, just um, how Callie was, you know um, – uh, what, what did I – I can't remember what I said earlier, but like how, you know, Callie was – the, the, the whole theme of the book was this kind of exploration of – Breaking out of your shell and being who you are and being comfortable mm-hmm. showing the world who you are yes. and not conforming to society's, like, norms and standards, mm-hmm. even though, you know, not that she all of a sudden did something super unsocietal. I mean, yes, dressing up as a boy and going to a gambling club is, it you know, not – but. She- she did them clandestine. She wasn't yeah. trying to draw attention to herself. No, but she's just like, I just want to do things that make me happy. And that's – very feminist. Mm-hmm. So like, yes, yes I, I, and I think like people reading it can hopefully take that away from it. And there is one scene that I did leave out of the synopsis that was, I think, super feminist, which is she's at the dressmaker trying like for the fitting of the ball gown. And she actually meets Nastasia, the former mistress mm-hmm. in the dressing That's room. True. And the thing is the two of them, instead of having like you think that it's going to be this catty mistress who's going to just tear Callie down, and she actually doesn't. She kind of says like, especially once Callie puts that dress on, she's like, kudos to you for getting him. Like, and yes, I can see why you got him, especially in that dress. Like, damn girl. Like, that dress is fabulous. And so it's, like, actually this really positive interaction between two females. And 
one should be mad at the other one, but they aren't. Like, and they both walk away. Like, Callie walks away being like, I kind of like her. <laughs> yeah, I um, I was also surprised by that scene. And I really loved that, too. I think that, you know, that's kind of typical Sarah McLean. Like, she's she's super She's such a feminist. So like, <laughs> you know, it's going to be it's going to be a feminist book. And so I, I love that there's like, it's not just surface level. You know what I mean? It's yes, there's there's a lot in there for you. So mm-hmm. I thought that that was great. Yes. All right. Now that we're wrapping up, Zoe, do you have a final book rating? Yes, I do. And I'm trying really hard to rate this book as to what I I really think like it deserves because I feel like my personal feelings of this book are I didn't love reading it right now like it felt a little long to me um mm-hmm. it wasn't like it wasn't what I wanted to read at the moment that I read it. And so, again, yes. I was, like, trying to not knock it down for that because mm-hmm. I think it's a really good book. And so I'm going to give it a 7.5 because okay. I think, like, I feel a little bit more towards 7, but I think it deserves higher. I think this mm-hmm. is a very good book. And it was fun. And I highly recommend people read it. I think I was just, you know, in the mood for something slightly different and, you know – we have this podcast that's so important. We have to <laughs> – we have our required reading for it that we've yes. set out for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, I thought – I think this book's a 7.5. Awesome. I'm going to give it an 8. Fair. Because I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the characters. I really enjoyed – and I did, I did like the plot. I think it felt more – and we were talking about it in our interview about like a more traditional style romance that yes. kind of like – it it kind of goes on a bit longer, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot. There's a little bit more back and forth, but you know, it's kind of this is where you see that push of like, I'm gonna have it go on a bit longer, but all my female interactions are gonna be positive. I'm not gonna have a female be the villain. Mm-hmm. You know, like the female is the female heroine's not gonna be needing the man to help her feel whole. She's not going to get her wholeness from the man. She's going to become herself, and then he's going to admire her for being herself. Mm -hmm. And so that I really love. And I just had fun with it. I had fun with Callie. And honestly, like, I feel like an eight is any time I can read a book and not be like, WTF, hero or heroine. Yes. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, totally. I mean, great reasons. So, so yeah, overall, a really good book. And it makes me want to read more Sarah McLean. I haven't read a lot of oh Sarah McLean recently. God, I wanted to read more. Of her. I will say right now, like, I just keep making my list longer of books I need to read. And of course, I'm like, not even in a reading mood right now. And I just, I read this book and I was like, I want to read Juliana's book. And I was like, did I even like, and I was like, but I want to read Nick's book too. Seriously. <laughs> and then I just, I was like, you don't have time. And frankly, you don't really want to read these books right now. You just like are just on a book high. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, you do want to read them, but I get I mean, it. I we're do in that, read we're them, in that but... sense of malaise right now, yes, right? Exactly. Where sometimes <laughs> things are just hard. But yeah, mm-hmm. I feel the same. And I, as everybody knows, and it's like so sad that I have to keep saying this, but I still haven't read Brazen and the Beast. So like, oh really my God, so you really Brazen need to. I know. So I just got approved for four advanced reader copies oh my on goodness. my Nook. And so I'm just like, ah, now I feel the pressure to read them and review them. 
and I'm very excited about all of them, but I'm just like, ah, now I have those four books and, you know, there's just a lot of reading to be had, which, you mm-hmm. know, a riches, riches of reading, like yes. I, I should be really happy about that, right? Yes, you should. What else are you reading on top of that, i.e. Zoe? What are we reading next week? (laughs) Well, next week, we are going to be reading Band Sinister by K.J. Charles. So this is a male, male, what she kind of describes as her version of a Regency rom-com. And (laughs) it's a little bit gothic, and it's a little bit silly and sarcastic, and it's also, like, it's great. So I I have read it already I, as I'm giving like a, a preview review of it. <laughs> but I think you all should pick it up. It is a little shorter, which is nice. So it's it's a little bit of a Excellent. lighter read for anyone who's looking for something kind of, um, you know, not so uh, lengthy. This is a good one. And yeah, Band Sinister. It's a standalone. So how about that? Awesome. I haven't read a standalone in a while. I know, right? So thank you all for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe if you haven't already, or tell a friend because that's one of the best ways for us to get found. So thank you again, and join us next time as we read Band Sinister by K.J. Charles. And may all your ever afters end happily. Tea and Strumpets is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.